Well, we've done it. We have made it after today through all of Ephesians. We didn't cover everything, of course. Uh, but if six chapters, we broke it up between last fall and this uh, winter. Um, and as we've looked at it, uh, we've been talking cultural intelligence has been kind of the overarching theme of that. That is to say, whatever gifts God has given us from whatever backgrounds God has given us, we need to use appropriately. That's really the long and short of it. Um, and, and not simply looking at the worldwide church, but, but looking at locally what God does within local congregations and the different giftedness that we have, making sure that we don't shut the door where we ought not, and we don't have eyes closed where we ought to have them open. That's really what we've been doing. And, and as we, we broke it up between Ephesians 1 through 3 and 4 through 6, and scholars, uh, some scholars really warn against breaking it up too much because some people kind of look at the first three chapters as a little bit more situational and doctrinal, uh, you know, Paul in the second three ch- chapters as more ethical. There is a sense of, in which Paul does that, but you can't break it up too much because then you break up the thought. That's not how Paul works specifically. So as we've looked at this, so you can see that Paul is addressing some of the unity piece uh, in maybe a bigger, more big picture way to some degree in the first three chapters. You've got a church of different backgrounds coming together, and he's trying to address what they are. They're supposed to be one body. That's what they are. Paul's the only one who uses that image in the New Testament, the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 through 6, which we've just covered, uh, really is about appropriately then using those gifts as God's body. What God has given us, we ought to use appropriately, um, and God has gifted the church, so we're not without. We need to find, though, where we might not be seeing. And the point of all this is that we would become not just the body of Christ, but the mature body of Christ. Not just taking care of one another, but looking outward to then take the good news out from this group and from local congregations around the world. And and this week we're continuing the thought pattern from last week. We were talking about the armor of God. We'll talk a little bit about that again uh, from Ephesians 6. I'm going to read from Ephesians 6, 18 in just a moment if you want to follow along. I encourage that. Um, That's our key passage today, and I'll read 18 through 20. It's just Paul completing the thought of the armor of God passage. And so the point is really the same from last week as this week. Paul's been talking about light and darkness um, and that you want to be light. If you don't have Christ, you are darkness. And so here's the point. If you are light, God provides all you need to remain light and defeat darkness. If you're one of my confirmation students, this is one of the easiest things. The same point from last week is the point this week. I just filled in one part of your form for you. If you are light, God provides all you need to remain light and defeat darkness. Now, let's read Ephesians 6, uh, 18 through 20, and see what Paul's doing here. We'll step back, and then we'll step back into it. Paul says this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. 
A detail to point out, Paul, we didn't make anything of this as we've talked through it really, but Paul's in prison when he writes this. And what that means in the ancient Roman world that Paul is a citizen of, he's a citizen of the Roman Empire, uh, prisons weren't used in the ancient world of the Roman Empire to house people long-term. It was a short-term solution. Usually you'd get a punishment meted out is what would happen after that of some kind. Um, and Paul is likely when he says, he says specifically here, he's in chains. He's probably chained to a guard or something like that when he writes this. So when Paul, just let this sink in for a moment, when he says, basically pray that I can make the mystery known, who is Paul wanting to make the mystery known to? The, the, his very oppressors, the people that are holding him in chains, that are guarding him. And Paul has a pattern of this. That should sink into us uh, as far as evangelism is concerned. That's not the point today. That's just an aside. But take, I... I Take that in. That's remarkable. But, but as you step back from the text and we get into the big picture of what Ephesians is addressing, what we've been talking about is that it's addressing Jew and Gentile worshiping together and becoming this body of Christ. And, and where Paul's led us to here and pray that the Spirit will actually do something within that body, will give the, the energy, the motivation, and the power to do that. Uh, when you have Jew and Gentile coming together to, to form the church, what you have is you have an old system and new people coming together. And what do you do when those two merge? You have people who, who understood the story and lived it out and were steeped in the story of the coming Messiah, and then he came and they recognized. And you have people who are looking in and saying, I see something there, I want to be a part of that. But they don't know the fullness of the story. And they come in and what can happen in those situations, old system, new people, is that you can easily overlook not knowing the system. People that come in are like, how do I fit in? And the people that know the system don't have a way to fit them in. We see that playing out in like Act 6 uh, very clearly. If you go back and read that with the, the taking care of the widows. You can also, in those systems, you can easily offend without even realizing it. You can easily offend. So one of the, the issues that the early church dealt with was things like, what do you bring to the potluck? And, and I don't mean, they, they actually had them. That was how they celebrated the Lord's Supper together, was they had a common meal and broke bread together. And so if you're in that situation and you're a Gentile who previously gave, uh, gave offerings to idols, and now that's a big issue, and that's where meat was found usually, and somebody brings meat sacrificed to idols, well, that's, that's offensive to me. I don't know if I can eat, I don't know if he can even be in the same room as that. And if you're Jewish by background and somebody brings meat with the blood still in it, well, that's offense. That's against the law. Even though it's not against the law anymore, it feels like it is, right? It's hard. They have to figure out how to work together. And at a local level, you know, we can feel the exact same thing. I think we have felt the presence of that from time to time. If we bring it down to our local First Evangelical Covenant Church, Lincoln, we've had old systems, new people, and we've been trying to work with that for years to try and make sure we incorporate the full body together. And that's why we bring this up, this whole cultural intelligence and, and the whole book of Ephesians. We're trying to address those kinds of things in a real way. As a denomination, uh, we are a diverse denomination, one of the most diverse denominations out there. And I know the denomination has grappled with how do we make sure that we recognize the giftedness that's there and not uh, block out certain backgrounds and only listen to certain voices, but hear the fullness of what God's given us. And, and let's bring it down back to the local level then. As the local Evangelical Covenant Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, it's a more diverse city than we realize. It really is. And so how do we make sure that when we're trying to recognize the gifts that we have, that we don't do it with just one voice and in just one way? 
but we recognize the fullness of what God has given us and could give us as well. That's what we've been doing. And, and as I reflected on that, I thought, how are we doing on some of this when it comes to the, especially the old systems and, and being able to incorporate new people? This is why we've been reworking our governance for the past couple of years, right? Because we recognized that what we were doing was we had, uh, it, it worked for a long time very well, but we had people that were called and gifted to lead a ministry. And then we brought them in and said, okay, you're also going to be a leader. But that's not what they were gifted for. And, and it wasn't a joyful experience necessarily. It took, it took away from them energy that could have been headed towards ministry. We had people who were just leaders, and we said, well, you need to lead then. And we wanted to make sure that we appropriately used the gifts, so we've been trying to do that. You can see in how we're even talking about our staffing and the changing that's going on right now and changing the Welcome Center and different things. We're trying to figure out how to better assimilate people that come in into, into the full life of the congregation. You can see that even in your communication card today, right? Greeter, nursery, parking lot attendants, ushers, we want everybody to be able to be a part in a meaningful way of life at First Covenant Church to assimilate people and, and bring in ownership too. This is our place. This is the ministry God has called us to in this place. And we're already doing some of those things. You can see for the future, I would suggest to you we're working more towards developing more leaders and caring better for the ones that we have so that we can lead better in some of these areas. And you can see also that we're going to work even harder at evangelism as part of the life of who we are, organically. And so we have to ask, how are we doing as we look at this? As we look at the gifts God's given us, we can look at it in a very local way, and I hope we do. And so Paul, when he's, let's get back to the, the verse at, at hand and, and kind of come into that then. Paul, we talked about the armor of God last week. And, and without getting into the specific pieces of armor, the, the items that Paul talked about are truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and spirit. When you put it all together, what are you really putting on? Not simply armor. You're putting on God's worldview and God's way of seeing the world and God's way of operating in the world. When you put all of those pieces together. If you're talking about the belt of truth, the thing that holds everything together, you're putting on God's reality. God is the objective standard by which everything else functions, by which we know what true and false are and good and bad and right and wrong. By putting on the belt of truth, we're saying, I recognize that God is that standard. I'm not my own standard. There's no other standard out there. God is that standard. It's God's reality that I live in. Righteousness means that I live God's way within that reality. Peace means I seek God's best within that reality. That's what it is. Shalom, God's best, is what's behind that word. As far as the, the faith peace. I look at what God has done to know what God will do. God has always been faithful in God's way. And as I pursue God's way, seeking God's best, God is going to continue to be faithful even when things get difficult along the way. As far as salvation, it's that identity piece. It's not just protective. It says, I belong to the Lord. I belong to him. And even though things might have looked good before I said yes to Jesus, it was spoiled creation. Right? The eggs might look good in the fridge, but when you open the door, if they're spoiled, you know the difference, right? The creation might look all right, but it's, there's something wrong. It's cracked. It's broken. And, and putting on the helmet of salvation means we've been plucked from that, redeemed. Now we're, we're in the kingdom, or at least we're living that way, even if it's not fully here. And that sword of the Spirit, that means we, have, we can power through the doubts and keep going forward. We have the power to move in God's reality, even when things face us 
that push against it. That's what's going on with the armor of God. It's a full package, and if you aren't wearing the full armor of God, you aren't fully dressed. If you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, you need to have the whole armor on. It's, it's the total worldview of God's way and the total way of being uh, one of God's subjects of the king. Now, in 618, let's just take this particular verse step by step and sort of phrase by phrase, and let's pick it apart a little bit to see how it goes then with that armor of God piece. Uh, it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. What's going on there, it's a, a, the word behind there, kairos, is behind that in the, in the Greek. A kairos is to be contrasted with the Greek word chronos. Kairos is an appointed time or season. Chronos is the time on your watch, right? 3.30. Kairos is winter, spring, summer, fall. Those are times or seasons. You don't say that winter starts, even though we have the the time frame. Uh, We we know it seems to start when it gets cold out, right? Even though it technically starts when things happen a certain way. Harvest is a season, right? Jesus alludes to that. And even Jesus in Mark 1.15, he talks about the kingdom of God is at hand. That's a season, it didn't happen at 3.30 on a Tuesday. It's, it, we know that when Jesus comes, he starts the season of that. And it's just going to keep growing and advancing. Uh, a few years ago, just to give an example of a season within our own local church life, we had Wynn Howen, a covenant pastor, come and speak at our family camp. And Wynn told me uh, in between sessions, he said, I really, as I prayed for First Covenant Lincoln, I, God said, the Spirit's on the move. This, there's going to be a movement of the Spirit starting very soon. God told that to me. And my first question is, when? When, will you, when is that going to happen? When? But you know what? It was already starting. The season was starting. It was not, it's going to start at this exact time. And I don't know if you're feeling it, but I've been, I've been feeling that within our congregation. She was right. She heard that and delivered the message. But the thing is, we put on armor. We're encouraged to put on the armor of God because the battle continues. There are things that war against those who would follow Christ, who would enter in and try and live as if they're God's subjects in his kingdom, even though the kingdom isn't fully here. And that's why we wear armor. That kairos moment has already begun, that the kingdom is moving, and that we're supposed to be people who say yes to Jesus and then put on the armor so we can walk accordingly. And let me just tell you, in this life, whether you're wearing armor or not, you're going to have struggles. You're going to have struggles. That's, that's not news to any of us. We've had hard days. Anybody in here can pick those out. And when you're a disciple of Christ, you're really going to have some hard days. It doesn't get easier necessarily. It gets better, not easier. And so here's the truth of the matter. In life's greatest struggles, here's the good news. You're not strong enough. How is that good news? In life's greatest struggles, you're not strong enough. God is. God is strong enough for those. And so Paul says, pray. You're in a season when you need to do it. Paul says, pray on all occasions in prayer. We are placed in direct communion with God. He says to do it on all occasions, which really means as long as needed, or maybe you could say it as always. And that usually confounds us. How can we always be in prayer? My list isn't that long, right, of things that I can say. Do I need to read through the whole Psalms? What do I need to do to always be in prayer? But it's communion with God, not simply a list of petitions. Paul will say something about that, but it's not simply that. Imagine, I, I, I hope you have some of these people in life where you have friends, maybe who don't live near you, but when they come and visit or you go to visit them, 
it's like no time has passed. Do you have these people in your life? We had the Oyumics. You remember these missionaries come just a few weeks ago. They were here three years ago. I've known Joel for 20 years. Um, We've not gotten to see each other a lot over that time, but he's one of those people who, when he comes, it's like no time has passed. In fact, the the day that they came, driving in on a Friday, um, this is a good friend right here. Uh, I was cleaning up the rest of the basement where they were going to stay in our house, and I said, why is there water in the bathroom in the basement? And I realized we needed to call Roto-Rooter. And uh, it was right when they drove up. That's when I realized this needed to happen, right? And we needed to call Roto-Rooter. There's water everywhere. Joel is there. Within 10 minutes, he's plunging a toilet, and he's mopping our floor. That's a good friend, right? That's the kind of person that you can sit in the same space, and you don't have to be talking the whole time, do you? The presence matters as much as the conversation. And you can have that with friends that are local, too, whatever. You know that kind of friend and those kinds of relationships. You don't have to talk to be in communion with someone. You can just be. In fact, David Benner, uh, in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, he points out, you know what friends do? They waste time together. And they love it. That's what you do. And you know what we're supposed to do with God? Waste time together with God. Be in the presence of God. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what Paul's talking about. Just be in communion with God. And so question that's up there then is you consider that we need to prepare to actually be in God's presence just as you would spend time with a good friend are you willing and prepared to spend your entire day with God each and every day is that something you've you've willingly put into practice or would willingly put into practice if you haven't is the desire there to say God I, I want to actually I don't need to talk the whole time I just want to know you're there and we're together. Charles Simeon, preacher of the 1800s and commentator, he says, It is graciously ordained of God that none of his creatures should be independent of him. However richly they may be furnished with either gifts or graces, they are under the necessity of receiving continual supplies from him and of acknowledging him from day to day as the one source of all their benefits. We need God. We need that communion with God. And furthermore then, Paul says now, as you pray, yeah, put forth those petitions, those requests. And what is a a petition, I think, is is a more helpful word here. The word means the same thing either way. But the, the word behind it there in the text really means to ask for what you lack. That's what you're doing when you petition. I don't have this. I need this. And we go to God, we're in communion with God, and we need to ask God for what we lack. If you talk about this in context of the armor of God, as we find this passage, then if we lack some of these these components of the armor, truth, well, quite often if we lack truth, we're, we're not acknowledging the reality of truth, and there's a lot of pride or ego involved. We need a healthy dose of humility. Perhaps that's what we need to pray for. Perhaps that's what we need from God. God, I need some humility here. I need to think of myself less and you more. If we're talking about righteousness, walking God's path, if we find that difficult in certain areas of life, we need accountability. We need to, we need to pray for it, of course, from God. But we need to pray, God, I need people that can speak into my life and keep me accountable to walk your way. Whether it's a small group, a, a church, whatever it is, somebody. God, I need these people to speak your word into my life. Perhaps it's peace. We don't feel it. 
We just never feel at peace. Uh, things not only don't feel God's best, they feel like they're always warring within us. Well, perhaps we need to pray for God's presence more deeply. God, I want to experience peace like only you can give it. Can I experience the indwelling of your spirit and know that peace? If it's faith, the shield of faith we're told to put on, that, that helps us look back and see what God is doing, but protects us as we go forward because we know that God's going to be faithful and we can forge ahead. If it's faith, some of us have short memories. Let me remind you, some of us have short memories. We need the memory of God's goodness. God, will you, will you remind me of how good you've been to me? And not just me. How good you've been to those respected people I have around me that are your disciples. Can I see it in their lives too? that I can forge forward in faith because I lack. I lack that, God. I lack that memory. If it's salvation, that identifying peace, maybe we just need to pray the simple prayer of, of God, who am I? Who did you create me to be and who did you redeem me to be, better yet? Who am I supposed to be now that I've chosen to follow you? And finally, the sword of the Spirit, the thing that allows us to keep going forward no matter what presses against us. Again, it's the indwelling of the Spirit. God, I need your continual presence no matter where I go. Work is tough. Be with me. Help me see how to go forward and forge ahead as your child. For the continual presence, I know I've pointed it out to you before, but I pray every morning when I get in the shower. Thanks be to God I take a shower, right? But I pray every morning when I get in the shower because it's a marker in my day. I know I'm going to do it every morning. And I pray the Kyrie. It's a specific prayer. You don't need to use that one. It's helpful to me. I pray it throughout the day too. Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, have mercy on me. Over and over and over. As my call, both for forgiveness and a call, God, I want your presence. I want to be in communion with you throughout the entire day. And I can recall it throughout the day and it brings me back in. It says, no, I, I'm, I'm getting off track. Okay, God, I, I want to be in your presence. I want to hear you. I want to know how you're operating wherever I am and how you're drawing me into that picture. And here's the truth then. When it comes to petitions, what we lack, God can provide. One of our uh, service providers that comes to the church and you know, sells us stuff, uh, super nice guy, um, he... He was, we were talking one day, and uh, he said, you know, when people come into my office sometimes, because when he's not on the road, they come into his office, and they'll ask, uh, they just need an ear. And he'll say, I always just start with, let me know what I'm doing here. Am I listening, or am I giving you advice? Because if you can just tell me which one of those, I'll do it perfectly, right? But I just need to know what you need. And, and I do the same thing uh, with people many times, like, do you need me to listen, or, or do you need me to speak in? We don't just need God to fix our problems. That, that's already actually given to us. It doesn't mean that they're going to be fixed in the everyday, but if we, if we seek redemption, if we've chosen to be a disciple of Christ, guess what? It's going to be fixed. The, the cure is coming. But we have to recognize that life's going to weigh us down sometimes. It's going to get tough sometimes. We're going to feel the drift from God even with really good things in our lives. Even when we get overscheduled with really good things, we will feel the drift from God. And we don't just need God to fix our problems in those moments. We need to recognize that what consumes our thoughts matters to God. 
Those things that do drift us away, even good things, they matter to God. The minutia of our life matters to God. And when we enter into prayer, what we're doing is we're setting those things down at the feet of the Lord so that we can be in full communion with God and walk together through those things. Not just to have God fix them, but to walk with him. So if you're going to live in God's presence, here's a question to consider. And all of these are are given to you in a different format in your small group notes this week. Even if you're not in the small group, you can use these. But if we're going to live in God's presence, do you want God to simply hear you and do your will? Or do you want to be heard by God and equipped to do his? Do you want God to just fix the problem, then you move on, and then you forget about God in the process? Or do you want God to walk with you in that and say, now, let me show you how this equips you to do what I've called you to do. One of my favorite monks, the late Matthew the Poor, died about a decade ago. He says, We ask God for temporal things because we have fallen from our original spiritual status in which we lacked nothing. Although this is alien to the original concept of prayer, God in his graciousness has come down to our level and promised to listen to our prayers when we bring him our needs and complaints which he knows only too well. He thus assures us that we will never be aban- he, will, he will never abandon us for our sins and that our tribulations are a matter of concern to him. God's going to walk with us no matter what happens. We need to bring it to God and be in communion with God. Not simply asking for a fix, but asking for that communion, no matter what the struggle The next two things Paul brings up then in this passage talking about prayer, he'll talk about be alert and then praying with the saints. So when he talks about be alert, really it means to persevere. Persevere through what's going on. And that makes perfect sense with the petitions and the communion that we've talked about because the battle is on. You're wearing the armor because the battle is on. The Kairos moment is here. It's time. The end is coming. The kingdom of God is near. We're supposed to act like it. And the good news is, the war is over. Jesus won. Newsflash. I hope you're on the same page with me. The devil lost, and he knows it. And he's going to get more desperate in the days ahead to try and pull away as many people as he can from God's kingdom. So we need to be alert. This is a a sense of compunction, to be aware that, that there is some problem out there, rather than being complacent. We need to hold up the shield of faith. That's why Paul calls us to do that, because the arrows are flying still, and they fly at us like temptation, like doubt, like discouragement, like complacency, and like busyness. Those are the things that fly at us. And when we put our shield down, then all of a sudden, that's when those things come, and they hit, and they stick. And that's what takes down marriages. That's what takes down believers. That's why injustice abounds throughout the world. It's because those, those arrows fly and pull us away. And we need to be alert. Because let's just point out, the devil in, in his days of trying to take down as many as he can, the devil delights in our belief that the day of the Lord is tomorrow, not today. We're, we're constantly, I, I fall in the same trap all the time. Oh, the day of the Lord is probably tomorrow. No, think it's now. It could happen before lunch. Be alert. Be alert. When we get complacent, that's when the problems come. That's when the arrows come in and stick. We put our shield down. 
Finally, Paul says, and this is related, he says, pray for the saints. Pray for the saints. He's talking about himself, of course. He's talking about the churches spread throughout the empire that have grown. And when we pray for the saints, what it does is it puts our head in the game again. Of course, we're praying for somebody else. It's not just for our own benefit, but, but it has that byproduct. It puts our head in the game. It reminds us of what the mission is because we're seeing it worked out and played out around the world. We're seeing the arrows come in and fly at our brothers and sisters around the world. And also, we can be more prepared for victory because we can see when people are winning for the gospel, when God is, is delivering. So we need to pray for every church in our city, state, and nation that we know about. Pray for those churches that they can fulfill the mission. We all have one mission, many ways of carrying it out, but one mission as the church. Pray for those. I try to pray for churches when I drive by them or walk by them. I don't do it super well, but I try to. And if you live in a neighborhood where you have churches, pray for those. Put them on your list. Lift them up in prayer. And if you think one of the churches in your neighborhood doesn't preach the gospel, pray for them twice as hard. Pray for those churches that are around you. I was on... Uh, with Stu Kearns, Pastor Stu Kearns, recently on his radio show on KLIN, and he asked me about this. How do churches do things together, find unity in these days that seem so divided? And I said, one of the things that I've experienced is we just need to look up. We're so focused on what's going on at First Covenant Church or the church down the street. We just need to look up and see that God is working around us and, and actually reach out a little bit and get to know one another and what's going on around and pray for one another. We also need to pray for the churches around the world. We can actually be shaped through this process of praying. There are churches around the world that suffer greatly. Parts of the world where they, people can't gather from with more than two or three people or else they'll get jailed. There are parts of the world where people will be killed if they are Christian. And yet they still are. And you know what? They have a joy that some of us who have a lot of stuff don't seem to have. They tend to feel sorry for us. Because we have so many things and so many opportunities and we can choose not to go to church. Not to read our Bible. We can be shaped when we pray for those around the world as well. And I was thinking about this this week in the context of 2 Timothy 3.16, which is the famous passage about Scripture. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But can't God's word being lived out among his people do those things too. And even further than if you tease that out and you're praying for the church, the saints around the world. As we do that, is it possible that there's a shaping effect that can happen? Not only are we lifting them up, but they are, by their faith, shaping us. So we need to persevere with God's strength. And here's the final question I have for you. Do your prayers for the saints have the ability to teach, rebuke, correct, and train in righteousness? Can they hold us accountable to God's way as we lift up our brothers and sisters in prayer? To keep us alert. To recognize that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. And we shouldn't put down our shield. We shouldn't think the day of the Lord is tomorrow. It's today. And so what we need to do, we need to recognize that if you are light, God provides all you need. All you need is provided to remain light and defeat darkness. And what we need, we need the power of God's presence, we've said so far. In practice, what that's going to look like is something like committing your time to the Lord. I hear people, uh, and you've got you to set up, I'm going to pray at blank time during my day. 
I'm going to read the Bible at blank time. I'm going to make sure I go to worship every week to worship with believers, even the weeks when I don't feel like it, even when there's an inch of snow flying around on the ground or more. I'm going to go. Unless I'm sick, because I don't want to pass the flu around, right? But the power of God's presence. I've heard for years, in every church I've served and attended, I'm too busy for, and you fill in the blank, right? And there are good reasons we are sometimes, but let me tell you, none of us are. Because we can, we, we stop, we reduced our Facebooking by 51 million hours last year, okay? But you know what we did? We transferred it to Netflix. We've got the time to commit to being in communion with the Lord. We've got the time to commit to prayer, to scripture, to communing together as his people. And we need to mark our day with those things. So we're in constant communion with God and connected with his people. We need the power of God's presence. Second, we need the strength that only God provides. We need some discipline if we don't have it. And if we do, we need to tighten it up all the time. We need discipline uh, to be in God's word and with God's people. And so this morning we're talking about a real practical way we can live out Ephesians where we have systems and we have people that need to be involved in the system I encourage everybody to get involved in the Sunday morning experience. That is, ushers, greeters, parking lot attendants, it's a new thing, it'll work, uh, uh, scripture reading, whatever it is, nursery. Get involved so that this is our place, so that we are the people who are hospitable in the name of the Lord, so that we're equipped to recognize all the gifts that come in, and we can use them and go out with those things. We can get people involved in groups and do ministry together and pray for one another. Get involved in the experience. Finally, we need to pray for the mission. Deeply. Be alert when we do it. There's, of course, a focus beyond self as you do this. I know I talked about the, the, what it can do to you, but there's a focus beyond self. Just pray. It's an act of love to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, our brothers and sisters in the city, even in the room that aren't yourself. But the byproduct is it makes us better in the fight. The byproduct is it keeps us alert, it keeps us strong, and it could even keep us in communion with God as we do this. And so pick somebody in the room to pray for. Pick a church in your neighborhood to pray for. Pick a region of the world, even missionaries that we support, and pray for them, and pray for the region that they serve, not just the missionaries. Get to know those areas. Research them. Get the covenant uh, prayer book. Get the Operation World book, whatever you need. Research and pray for those around the world, that we could be sharpened in the process to stay alert, to have the power of the Lord working through us, to make sure that we are wearing the full armor of God and we're in the fight till the end, till the day of the Lord comes, which could happen today. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that we get to be in your presence and just as Samuel prayed, as we open your words, speak to us. And this morning, may it not be my words, but your words that cut to us, And for those of us that are sitting here and we're hearing this, uh, to pray for those saints, to, to be like Paul even, to reveal the mystery of the gospel to those who don't feel like, when we don't feel like we want to, or to those people that we feel like, boy, they don't deserve this, God. No. Reach our heart, that we can reach the hearts of others. May your spirit indwell us, that we can do your work in the world. God, give us your presence so we're in communion with you. And don't let us miss the opportunities in our midst 
whether in this place or as we go into the workforce this week and into our homes and with our families, to take your presence out with us and give your presence as a gift to others that they may experience your peace. God, we pray this all in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen.